Well, hello and welcome to the Leverage 3 podcast. I'm Craig Shoemaker, and today's guest is Luca Restagno. Luca is a busy man. He's actively bootstrapping not one, but two startups, all while maintaining his nine to five job, at least for now. Luca, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Hi, Craig. Thanks for, for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for, for joining me. And um, well, we, we contacted on, t- on Twitter and started talking in the DMs a little bit about you know, your journey. And, and I noticed that you have like a, a couple different uh, products that you're working on. And then you, you, know, you tell me like you're doing all this while you're maintaining your nine to five job. And I was just curious, like maybe start off by telling us, set the stage a little bit. Like what, what do you do for a living at the moment? Yeah, so I have a, a full-time job. I was working as a software engineer in a, in a tech company. Um, this is what I've been doing for a long time, um, so for more than, than 10 years now. So um, on the side of this, I, I created two, two products, actually, um, and i working on them and growing them on the side of my 9-to-5 job. Awesome. And, and I think... These projects are even at the point to where you're earning revenue from them, right? Yeah, that, that's correct. So revenues are growing very slowly and steadily, but constantly. And so I'm quite happy about that. Uh, yeah, so they're generating around 2K euros per month at the moment. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> I would be too. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so... I want to I want to dive in, like take a step back for a second. And motivations and why people do things is is a you know, topic that comes up quite often on the show. And you know, you're in the tech industry. I'm in the tech industry. It pays well. You know, it, it can be pretty fulfilling if you have a, a good manager, at least. Um, and I'm just I'm curious, like, what sort of created this need for you want to go in and build something on your own? Yeah, there are definitely a couple of reasons why I want to shift and move from employment, basically, to entrepreneurship. The main reason is that um, by working in a company, um, we are playing the so-called career game, right? So we try to do our best to be well-evaluated, to contribute as much as possible in the company we are working for. Um, And there are different paths. We can follow. Mine is I started as a as a developer, as a software engineer, and at a certain point, I reached a level in which I was good. I had a good seniority. I had a lot of different soft skills like agile methodologies, uh, managing people, not as a manager but in a similar role, and so on, and techni- good technical skills. So for me now. As if I want to continue uh, perceive them, them career game, is to try to level up and change role basically. Mm-hmm. So go to the management side of the job, which is a completely different job. Um, I tried recently to make the, this to step up basically, and that didn't happen. So this is a bit frustrating because it's something that I cannot control actively. So right. I can try to apply in different companies. I can try to grow in my current company. That didn't happen. And this is one, one topic. The other topic, which is even more important for me, is that um, there are different ways to uh, grow our earnings, basically. Um, 
a different speed. So employment means that if you are lucky and we get the right opportunities, um, we get to a very good salary at the end of our career and we'll get a very good pension, depending on the country we're living in. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so for instance, in my country, I live in Italy at the moment. Um, the pension system is not very robust, to be honest. So I'm very scared about that. So about the future. So a way for me to be able to be more comfortable in the future, in the older ages, is to, of course, earn more money. And a career game, in my opinion, doesn't provide that opportunities or very low uh, possibilities. While entrepreneurship is very risky, but there are higher uh, probabilities, in my opinion, to get there. Okay. There's so much to, to what you just said. And now I want to kind of unpack a couple different things. Now, the step from a software developer or software engineer into management is a complete categorical shift in the discipline, the mindset, the skills that you need, right? And you've identified that saying like, that's not for me. I would say on the same turn that the shift from a developer to an entrepreneur is a complete categorical shift as well, right? And, and so I, I get like you're seeing a bigger future upside for you um, as why you're wanting to do that. Like that makes total sense. But I'm curious, what sort of growing pains have you gone through? What are the, the difficulties that you find in order to say, okay, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a coder, you know, I'm a developer and now I'm a business owner. What's that journey been like? Yes, it's a completely different mindset and I'm learning every day how to shift my mindset from being a coder, as you said, to a business owner. Uh, it's completely different, but it's also very exciting and challenging because you learn a lot and you need, you need to do a lot of different things. So you're not vertically focused on coding and that's it. So some of the frustrations in working in a company is that you're very vertical. So there are other departments and usually when you try to challenge them, uh, you get a kind of pushback, right? Okay. Right. You, you know what I mean? Um, while working as a business owner and especially as a solo founder, it means that you need to work on marketing, which is a completely uh, uncertain and unclear <laughs> topic for me. Um, marketing and content and copy, copywriting and design and building the product, of course, so coding as well and building an audience as well. <laughs> so right. there are so many different things that you need to learn and, and put in place and be good at, good enough at least, good enough at, um, that it's a continuous learning a journey. And uh, I mean, it's very exciting. So uh, if we were to pick, you listed a number of different disciplines. I'm curious for, for you as an individual, which one did you find the easiest to pick up and which one do you feel like is a struggle to sort of get a grasp on? Yeah, definitely uh, marketing is, is the best for every um, solo founder with um, coding background because you basically, you don't know what you need to do. Uh, I mean, marketing is so generic, you need to show, to put your products in front of as much people as possible, not as much, but especially 
the exact target for your products, which is difficult to figure out. Right. Um, so these are the main challenges um, for sure. Um, so have, have you gone about trying to learn disciplines? That's a good question. Uh, my approach always um, in life is to um, trial and errors. So I make a lot of different experiments. I'm not that kind of analytical person that studies a lot of different things, uh, creates a plan, and then executes. I'm more instinctive, I would say. But it's the same. Even I play guitar, it's the same. So it's, ah. I'm, I'm, I have this attitude. <laughs> I do as well. We have to talk about that some more. Great one, yeah. So, all right. So th this is really interesting. Now, um, for people who are not um, a part of the software development community, uh, I just want to stop and explain something for a moment. So when you build software, one of the ways that you can go about it is you can create this big plan and you can try and write down every single detail and then you give it to developers and they go and try and create a piece of software based off of that plan and we call it Waterfall. Um, and it has its ups and its downs, but generally as, as an industry, people have decided like this isn't the best way to go because the market, people, everything seems to change. There's this other way of going about things that's called a more agile approach. And that's where you sort of take things as they come and try to ad adapt and adjust uh, as necessary. And that's a really loose sort of definition for, for what agile is. But I find it interesting to see that your approach to dealing with and learning some of these uh, other disciplines kind of mimics what I'm supposing is probably your philosophy in software development. Yeah, that, that's very true. That's very true. So agile methodology is something that I bring me, bring in with me during this um, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey, but even more extreme because <laughs> while working in a company with agile methodologies, you know, you need to deal with uncertainties, um, changing priorities and so on, right? And so you try to uh, make the smallest possible product increment and to release it mm -hmm. as soon as possible to gather feedback. So this is the main, the main goal of the agile, agile methodologies. I apply exactly the same on my products. But even on, when I mean on an extreme level is that, for instance, my latest product, I even avoid building it. I built a landing page, a pre-sale landing page with okay. a lifetime deal. And that's it. That's it. That, okay. that was the validation, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> I've been wanting to talk about, about pre-sales and selling before you build uh, uh, a lot. And because th there's a part of me who feels like, you know, I need to make sure I'm creating the most value possible before I ask anyone for their money or anything like that. But it's the prevailing wisdom, at least at this point, to, you know, to sell before you build. And so let's talk about this process a little bit. So uh, what did your landing page look like? What was the offer that you had? And so you said that the kind of the carrot that people got was they have lifetime uh, access to your product. Um, but, you know, w what was your positioning in order to, to get people to, to want to sign up um, before it was built? Yeah, so I was very clear about the features that would be included in the final version of the product and uh, you're right i mean when you do a pre-sale like this um, 
you need to be um, very um, clear about the expectations and respect um, the users that purchase your lifetime deal. So I include a lifetime deal that was you, you, you will simply get access forever to the product. And for me, it was a way to, to validate the idea, actually. Right. Uh, because I was not sure if people would have been um, willing to pay for such a product. And so right. for me, the fact that they were paying was the strongest validation possible. I think the thing that occurs to me, though, is like you, you have this job, right? I imagine you, you, you probably have a, uh, a loving family as well. Um, how much time went between selling, doing the pre-sell and delivering and did you set a time expectation for people? Yes, uh, absolutely. So I delivered the product um, two months and a half later, two, three months okay. later. So it was absolutely um, reasonable, I, I guess. And you're right, you need to manage the expectations of the users and respect them. So during these two months, I was providing updates to them just to reassure them that things were going on, they could trust uh, me and uh, and the, the building process and so on. And th that happened. So, nice. Um, yeah. And so when you started your pre-sale, did you have a proof of concept built or was this really like, I just want to know if this works before I spend any time on it. And so you built the landing page and went from there. Yes. I definitely had a proof of concept. So I knew already that that I could have built that product actually. Okay. So yeah, I think that this is mandatory because you, you need to be uh, serious about what you're doing. Okay. And um, yes, I had this POC and actually the idea and the features of the product evolved a lot um, before the pre-sale and especially after the pre-sale when I started getting feedback from the users. And how did you get feedback? What were you showing them in order for them to have to be able to evaluate? Oh, well, most of the feedback were coming um, after I released the first version, oh, the okay. beta version, and I gave them access. And I created a public board in which they could add um, feature requests and vote on the feature requests of other people or create bug reports and so on. Okay, So cool. yeah, I created a small community of early adopters, basically. Gotcha. I, we're kind of dancing around the subject a little bit, but I, I'd like to like you know explain to us what this product was and what the features are and like kind of what it does. Yeah, so this is my most recent product. It's called Inboxes, <laughs> Inbox plus AS, NS. Um, this is basically um, a Twitter DM CRM, light CRM, and productivity inbox that is specifically designed now for uh, people that has a kind of sales pipeline in place. So they basically use conversations on Twitter to, um, to make deals. So okay. to sell their services or uh, yeah, to onboard on courses or coaching on cohorts and so on. Nice, nice. And, and so your proof of concept, um... It, was it working code? Was it like screenshots that you showed people? Like how I'm trying to get an idea, like how in depth you went on this uh, as you went to market in the beginning. Yes. So 
initially my idea was was quite different. So I wanted to build a product that would include different platforms, uh, private messaging. So okay. I was thinking about Twitter DMs and Instagram DMs and Messenger, Facebook, and eventually also Reddit and blah, 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 blah. I did this POC and I discovered that there were huge technical challenges. Um, basically, most of these platforms doesn't have APIs. So okay. if you want to do that, you really need to trick. Um, and, and an it. API, for those who might be wondering, is is basically your ability to work with the code of like a server or some service in order to integrate that into your own software. Yes, exactly. Um, so I shift the idea and I focus on Twitter DMs only. So the Twitter DMs experience on the website of Twitter, but even on the, on the mobile apps is not that great. It's missing a lot of features and functionalities. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling because I have a lot of conversations going through on my Twitter DMs and I really struggled to, to find them, to find unread messages, to reply back and so on. So my first idea was to improve this and solve this problem. So this was the value proposition of the pre-sale page, the pre-launch page. Uh, so it came up with different features like, um, you know, um, quick replies, filter and show only your unread conversations and mm. have additional information and tagging system. This is very very heading, so you can tag your conversations and find them later, filter them later, add notes and so on. And recently I introduced the follow-up reminders. So if you need to remind yourself to talk to that person in a week or so, you can do that and the software will remind you on the exact date. Wow, that's really cool. That That's, uh, you, you know, you describe these features and you're like, oh yeah, I would want that. Or that seemed like uh, a basic piece of functionality, but yet at the same time for DMs, I never really thought about doing some of this stuff. So that's uh, that's really cool that to have those features available. So you're building this out and you're starting to get feedback. What what was like a a big turn or a big change that you made based off of the feedback that you got? Yeah, so initially I was thinking about uh, Twitter DMs client, just improved. What I discovered is that um, there is a huge group of people that are, as I said before, are interested in uh, installing using Twitter DMs and using Twitter in general. So I started to focus more on, uh, on this, type of, ty this type of users and um, I'm continuously dealing with them to understand what are their needs, uh, what they would need, and so on. Uh, so, yeah, this is the big shift in the way I propose now the product. Also, on the landing page, the copy is, is quite different now. Okay. And so, long term, so you you have the you have another uh, uh, startup as well. It's I remember asking in the in the, <laughs> in the DMs that I didn't know how to pronounce it. So yeah, help me out here. I pronounce it Hivoi. Is Hivoi co completely a fantasy name, so it doesn't okay. have a meaning. Yeah, it's still related to Twitter DMs, but it's more on the outreach, discover leads, and outreach using Twitter DMs. Okay. Uh, while inboxes is more on nurturing uh, the conversations, and uh, future plans for inboxes is to include other platforms because I think that it's uh, very valuable to apply the same approach other platforms like Instagram and Messenger that thankfully have very good APIs that they can 
use and consume. So that, that's the plan. Nice. Okay, so yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go next was, you know, what what holds, you know, what does the future hold for you and, and kind of how you're going to get there? So um, in knowing that your bills are mostly paid through your full-time job, what do you see as your ability to kind of grow these to, you know, hopefully get the point where it eclipses that for you? Yes. So I, I will continue with my strategy, which is basically to be very active on Twitter. I really like to engage and talk to people on, on Twitter and I try to grow my, my audience. Um, so this is something I will continue to do. So at the moment, Twitter is the main source of traffic for my products. The two products are Twitter related, so there's a perfect synergy. Um, I will continue with this. What I want to try now a bit different is that I think that my current situation, there is definitely an advantage, which is all the revenues I generate using my side projects, let's say, is something I can reinvest because it is extra money I'm making, right? So I'm looking for opportunities to, I don't know, sponsor a newsletter, sponsor a podcast, whatever ways to try to attract attract more uh, traffic and uh, hopefully to grow um, more quickly the, the two products. And um, yeah, sooner or later, don't tell my employer, but I would like to switch to <laughs> full-time full -time in the hacking, of, of course. <laughs> Well, hopefully they don't subscribe to this uh, this podcast because uh, I won't tell them. <laughs> so if you were to go back in time and start these all up, you know, all over again, are there any pitfalls you would avoid or any mistakes that you would you know, not want to repeat? Absolutely, yes. So I didn't mention it, but I started this journey around uh, 2019. And I actually built a product with one of my foreign colleagues, former colleagues, um, for two years on the site. Okay. So the big mistake was building for two years, of course. Mm. So we built a product, was, it was amazing, it was great, uh, but we didn't validate it as much as we could have done. And uh, second thing, we didn't have an audience, no distribution channels. So when we launched on Product Hunt, we got 70 upvotes, which was super great for us. But yeah. uh, I mean, even not in the, in the top five, right? So we didn't get the badge. Um, we were lucky and we sold that product. That product. So we, we sold it in um, 2021, actually. And I started a new journey, this time different. So I wanted to focus on the audience first and then build products, uh, very small. Hivoy was an MVP when I launched it with just one feature. And then, as you notice, my approach changed. So the second, I would say the third product, Inboxes, was pre-launched. So I'm improving, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, you're, you're definitely learning along the way. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, this is just awesome. I it, It's so cool to, to hear your journey about how you've, you know, put, put on more than one product out there, had, had really good success from it and learned a lot of things along the way. And one of the things I like to do near the end of the show is to give you a chance to give like three sort of tactical tips that you could share with people uh, based off of your experience. So if, what are your three things that you'd, you'd want people to do? 
Okay, so definitely three things absolutely to avoid. I know it's difficult for um, people with a coding background, but the first tip is avoid to build on the side for too long. Um, you need to get feedback. So release a very small MVP of your idea. And the second tip is you need to get feedback from the users, from the market as soon as possible. And based on that, iterate and evolve your, your product. Yeah, the third tip is to focus on distribution channels as early in the process as possible. So if you know already which is the area and which your, your products will be around, so like, I don't know, a course around or a product around email marketing or uh, content creation and so on, build an audience around these topics. Um, instead, if you don't have a clear idea, just start building an audience. So uh, select one of these social platforms that you love to use and observe what the others are doing in terms of growing an audience, publishing content and so on. And try, try to do the same very consistently because it's a, it's a long-term game. But distribution channels, it's, um, nowadays, it's a huge asset that you have once you have, you know, a newsletter with a lot of subscribers, a podcast with a lot of subscribers, or a social profile with a lot of followers. Hey, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Let's continue this conversation. Feel free to connect with me on Twitter, where I'm at Craig Shoemaker. So go out and have an amazing day. I hope you get a chance to find someone to love, find someone to forgive, and find someone to encourage, because we are most certainly not in this alone. And I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast.